0: Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. What's going on, adventurers? Today, I want to bring it back to a topic that I don't think I've ever discussed on this channel. And I think it's an important one that's a bit of an issue now, but is going to be a huge, huge issue in the future. So as you may know, I am definitely into the shooting sports, whether that's archery, whether that's rifle, shotgun. I carry a handgun frequently. I like to practice with it at the range. Uh, When it comes to shooting and hunting, I want to be good at, all of it. I don't want to be a specialist. I don't want to just be a rifle guy or just be a handgun guy, just be a self-defense guy or just be a deer hunter or just be a bow hunter. I want to dabble in all of it. And I'd love to be good in all of it, but my goal is to at least be proficient in all of it. So pretty much if you can fling your projectile, I'm into it in, in some way, pretty much. And today I want to talk about an issue that's going to affect the future of that significantly. And no, it's not gun control. Even though over this last weekend, the U S house of representatives barely passed the most restrictive, um, gun control bill that I can remember in my lifetime. It's basically just a revamp of the 94, uh, kind of Clinton era bill that banned semi-automatic weapons but this bans magazines, it bans pretty much every major handgun model, every semi-automatic rifle model. It is incredibly restrictive. Now, I think the chances of it passing in the Senate are very low, but you never know with these kind of things. It, it really was projected that it didn't have a chance in the House, but some Republicans, you know, caved and voted on this thing, and it did. But... That's a bit of a tangent, and that's something that's relative or related to this exact week. I'm talking early August 2022. But what I want to focus on today is something that I think is going to be a much longer issue and a much bigger fight. Um, I think things like that gun control bill are, are huge, huge deals, and it's going to continue to be an attack in this country. Uh, But I think they're going to come and go depending on who has control of the House and the Senate at the time. But what I want to talk about today is something that I think is going to continue to be a big issue the rest of my life, especially as a hunter, and that is lead ammunition. It's something that has been a bit of an issue. There have been a lot of restrictions, but I think it's going to continue to be a bigger and bigger issue. And I just want to talk about it a little bit and then end with kind of a a, a call to get your opinions on this on this topic. So as you know, lead is toxic. It's horrible to breathe. It's not good to eat. It's far worse to breathe than to eat. Actually, Our, our systems don't really digest it. And there's a lot of people who worry about lead poisoning and to worry about eating lead. But in fact, breathing lead dust is way, way worse than ingesting it. But I'm, I'm not a toxicologist, I guess, somebody who studies how things, especially metals, would poison you. Um, so I'm not going to get into that as much. But we just have to acknowledge that lead is a toxic substance. And I frequently reload my ammunition, clean my guns. And I always make a point to wash my hands afterwards with dish soap or some other soap that, you know, does a good job, not just regular hand soap. Um, So I'll use a heavy-duty soap, and I'll always use cold water so that I don't open up my pores and get the lead in my skin. Now, is that something that's required? No. Is that something that's effective? I think so, but I think it kind of comes from just that's what I've seen other people do. It makes sense rationally to me. I think I'm getting the lead off, but I don't really know. But lead has obviously been banned in a lot of things. There used to be lead-based paint in houses all over America. That's banned. Uh, There used to be lead water pipes. That's largely prohibited in pretty much everywhere in the country. There used to be lead in the gasoline. I think there's still some lead in diesel fuel, but most gasoline is all unleaded now. Lead used to be in all kinds of things, and more and more awareness to the dangerous effects of lead and how poisonous it is has led us to remove it in all kinds of substances. There are a lot of commercial brass and steel products that may contain trace amounts of lead, and those products are still required by law to carry warning labels. Because you need to know that depending on how you're using a piece of bar stock or screws, you know, whatever they're going in, it may be an item where it's very sensitive to any amount of lead. So they're required to put warning labels on a lot of that stuff. And I know in California with Proposition six, uh, yeah, 65, I believe, um, it's that cancer and reproductive health warning. Lead labeling requirements have been required for a very long time. And now it contains, you have to put labels on things like nickel and chromium and all kinds of other heavy metals as well. But how does that play into ammunition? Well, there have been studies that basically say when people are firing off ammo into the woods, into the water, it ends up in the ecosystem. And that's bad because dabbling ducks and other birds can eat this. It can build up in the water and poison fish. It can just build up in the environment and not be good, but it seems to have a especially strong effect on birds. And there is a very famous story coming out of California where it was the California condor was found to be eating I don't know the full story, the detailed version, and it it really doesn't matter for this, but there was some sort of game that was shot, and the endangered California condor was eating on this game and therefore ingested some lead, and they found dead condors because of this. And that led California to be extremely sensitive on this issue, And then they realized that there were a whole lot of states where ducks and geese and other animals, especially waterfowl, birds in general, but especially waterfowl, were being poisoned because of the lead. So in 1991, the US Fish and Wildlife Service basically banned lead ammunition for hunting any sort of waterfowl in any public waterways or on any public land. That may have also banned it on private land, I'm not sure, or that may still be state-to-state. I'm not positive, but I know pretty much anywhere you hunt ducks and geese in this country, you are prohibited from using lead shot. So that happened in 1991. I think it started in other states long, long before that, but I think that's when it was kind of a federal standard. So there are probably some older duck hunters who could who could really give me some education on this topic and tell me the history of it a little bit more. But I know all of my adult life and beyond, there has been no such thing as lead, duck, or goose ammo. It has always been illegal in my life. And then California banned all lead hunting ammunition, I believe, in 2019. So I was actually working for a company developing a choke tube, Specifically for dove hunting, and one of the warning labels on that tube, just because of the type of steel it was, it it offered a great constriction and the ability to change constrictions. And so, with that choke tube, we did not want people running steel through it because that could wear out the mechanism. Um, Obviously, steel on steel is, you know, it's hard on parts. So, we basically specified that hey, this is for lead only, no steel ammunition. And we got a lot of complaints from California where you can't even hunt morning doves or white wing doves, any doves with lead ammunition. And as a Texan, you know, growing up dove hunting, that was kind of the thing that got me into hunting. And it always has a special place in my heart. You always use lead ammo and you never thought twice about it. And so that was the first time that I was really aware of this in any context other than duck and geese and when i look this up it's become a much bigger issue and in my home state of texas um i I was looking at the site called raptor refuge which is definitely not a pro hunting group they're definitely a conservation group that is focused on the health and welfare of large raptors avian species but definitely not a hunting is conservation mentality um they, they seem to be pretty restrictive from what I was reading, but they listed regulations on lead or toxic, which I'm pretty sure just means lead ammunition state by state. And for example, in my home state of Texas, they considered it a partial ban. Non-toxic shot is required for all game birds on wildlife management areas and in federal wildlife refuges. So I have noticed that, and yes, it is for all game birds, but what's interesting is because they wrote, wrote that rule related to WMAs, it's, so they say it's all game birds, and that's the thing that you can most hunt on these WMAs, but I've noticed that some of them, you can hunt squirrels and rabbits and other small game and they still have the same rule. They require you on that property to use non-toxic ammo. And then that gets really difficult when you start hunting things like hogs where you want you don't want bird shot, you want something heavy. So you can't really get, you know, good buckshot. I'm pretty sure there is a company that makes brass slugs, but they're probably ridiculous. But most of these places you can't use slugs either. It's, you know, size number four and up, or number two and up. Um, When I say uh, and up, I mean and larger. So that gets really difficult for some of these other game animals. Uh, So I think on all WMAs, it's non-toxic for birds. But, man, that gets really interesting and really weird really quickly. And as I was kind of perusing through this state-by-state listing on that site it looked as if Arkansas and Arizona were actually the only states in the country that I could find that had no restriction. And that's outside of the federal U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service you know, migratory bird uh, deal with waterfowl. So obviously if you go up to Stuttgart, Arkansas and hunt ducks or geese, you still have to have steel shot for those, steel or tungsten or bismuth, non-toxic shot. For those, just because that's the federal wildlife deal, that it's the same, I guess, group that requires you to have a duck stamp. But if you're just hunting doves or anything that's not waterfowl, they have zero requirements for bird hunting or any sort of hunting related to toxic ammunition. Every other state has some sort of partial ban. There are a few states, like I mentioned, California has a complete ban on hunting with lead ammunition at all. But most states have some sort of partial ban. And so it's either by certain areas or certain species, you cannot use toxic ammunition. And this starts getting a little bit weird, again, to go back to Texas. There's a place in West West Texas where I've hunted over a pond. And in September, I've hunted doves over that pond. It's a great evening spot. It's always so hot and dry in West Texas that if you can find any place with water... They're coming to get a drink before they go to bed and so in the morning you hunt grain and then in the evening you hunt water and hunting water works really well but then I've hunted the same pond in teal season or late duck season and I'm hunting over the exact same place but I'm now required to use steel shot and so it's kind of interesting when it's now regulated not by where I'm hunting but what I'm shooting at and not even what's in season because there are overlapping seasons. So it gets weird and difficult. Like (laughs) I've been on that pond where there's an overlapping dove and teal season. So if I wanted to shoot a teal, I would have to take the lead shot out of my gun, put in steel shot, take a shot at the teal. And then of course I could also shoot with shoot doves with the steel shot, but it's, you know, it's, probably going to be different ammo that i'm going to type that i'm going to use it's probably not going to be quite as effective so then i would load back up with my lead shot again and then keep changing and it would be illegal for me to take a shot at one of those teal over that pond with the lead shot but there's no problem taking a shot in the exact same place in the exact same time at a different bird so it gets really weird and really difficult when you think of it in terms of well same pond different bird but the regulations change but theoretically it's for environmental reasons so is that really effective and i'm not trying to advocate that it should be one way or another but just that it's all kind of screwy and messed up so let's back way up and first look at why is most ammo made from lead if it's toxic, why do, we, why do we intentionally make ammo out of a toxic substance? Well, lead is very dense. For its size, lead is far heavier than aluminum, far heavier than steel. The density of lead is incredible. So if you're gonna fling a projectile, you want a projectile that doesn't have to be big to be heavy, because the larger you make it, it's gonna ruin the aerodynamics. So if it can remain small, but retain its energy, and retain its momentum, by having a high density, it's going to be more effective. Now, there are definitely many, many metals that are far more dense than lead, but lead is just a very dense metal that's more dense than many other commonly available metals. Lead's also very soft, which means you can shape it via a number of methods. You can mold it, you can forge it, you can pour it, you can... Heck, you could bite lead. I know many fishermen who have, you know, used split shot weights and they'll just bite them to crimp them onto their line. It's a very soft metal, it's readily available. It's not very hard to access. Pretty much every country in the world can probably get their hands on lead on their own soil. Uh, it has a low melting temperature. I think this makes it easier to extract from rocks. It makes it easier to mold. It makes it easier to work with. You don't have to have incredibly advanced machinery to be able to mold and shape lead. I could do it in my garage right now if I wanted to with just a torch. It has a pretty low melting temperature. And like I said, it's readily available. It's not a rare earth element. Uh, It's not like germanium or or one of these other metals that are used in a lot of scientific products that are just very hard to obtain. So in terms of how did we get here, it it actually makes a lot of sense that we're using lead to make ammunition. Just that amazing combination of, of a material that is dense yet soft, readily available, easy to melt, easy to work with, and is pretty widely available throughout the world it makes a lot of sense that ammunition as a tool for hunting and as an implement of war that it would be highly sought after for making projectiles so with the push to non-lead ammunition i guess what's the issue why am i making a stink about it what are some disadvantages or or what are the advantages is this even that big of an issue? Maybe we all just need to switch over right now and quit griping. Well, some definite disadvantages to non-lead ammo are, one, that it's expensive. It's because most of these metals are much less common than lead, whether that's brass, copper, in solid bullets like pistol bullets or rifle bullets. Copper is probably going to be the most common material, which obviously they quit making pennies out of copper because it was too expensive. It was worth more than the penny. And so copper is used in high end electronics. It's used in a lot of things and it is a very expensive material. That's why on bullets, you know, to get the jacket harder and to control the shape, they use a copper jacket, but they're going to keep filling the inside with lead because it's softer and more dense and much cheaper. But copper is, is expensive. And then in, in, shotgun shot goodness there are many other materials but they're all harder to work with less readily available and more expensive than lead so you can look at bismuth there was the bismuth cartridge company that did a whole lot of interesting work exploring the high density of bismuth and and all the advantages there and i i think it makes a lot of sense but they never overcame the fact that yeah it's just rare and expensive Tungsten is kind of the the leading cool one these days. So tungsten, I think, is probably most widely used in light bulb filaments, but that's quickly going away as everything turns to CFLs and now LEDs. Uh, That's less common. But tungsten is a very, very dense metal, but it's also very hard. And most places that work with it actually get it as a powder and then injection mold it or otherwise form it or forge it into whatever shape they want it to be. So you can melt it and make shot out of tungsten. And I actually use tungsten super shot or TSS for turkey. And it's not because of I guess, environmental or ecological reasons, though there is some interesting overlap now looking at some of these other states that have banned it, especially for bird hunting on public land or WMAs. But I used it because tungsten is more dense than lead. So I can use a smaller shot size. That's going to pattern better. Anytime you're running shot through a choke, the smaller the shot size, it's just going to obey and be shaped by the choke a little bit better So I could run a smaller shot size, but still run the same or larger amount of shot. So instead of using a one ounce or one and an eighth ounce load, which is pretty common at 12 gauge, I can easily get a two ounce load. So I am really packing a wall up, flinging a lot of dense material down range and those smaller, heavier pellets are going to retain their momentum way better and they're going to drive further into the target. And I think there's a lot of performance reasons for turkey hunters to use TSS, Tungsten Super Shot. But it is still very, very expensive. Those shot shells cost probably three times as much as another turkey load that's at least as good in terms of how it patterns but may not be quite as good at retaining that pattern at farther ranges. So I like it for that reason, but that's kind of an exception to the behavior of some of these other metals. So a lot of waterfowlers know that steel shot is not going to pattern nearly as well as lead shot. That's why there are so many performance chokes for duck hunting and goose hunting because it's just harder to get steel to pattern right and that's because it's a harder material so it's bouncing around down the barrel and in the choke and it's just not as easy to construct it and and force it to behave as a softer metal and this isn't an issue only with shotguns when we look at like copper slugs copper rifle bullets there's an issue here too because when you're fitting a bullet like we'll just use a, a 223 remington for example the bullet diameter is 224, and it's going down a bore that's generally 222 or 223. So there's a thousandth or two that's getting crunched or shaved off as the bullet interfaces with the rifling. So it actually gets smashed down a little bit to fit those grooves. And that's how it gets a tight fit and engages with the rifling grooves. And so the bullet needs to be able to be carved a little bit by the rifling by the steel rifling to be able to get that grip so with something that's soft like lead no problem you just force it down the barrel and it's going to get shaped and compacted a little bit and it's it's going to obey the rifling very easily and very consistently only four percent of universities in the u.s are r1 research institutions and temple university is one of them and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Even if you take a lead slug and then put a copper jacket on it, yep, it's still going to compress a little bit in the middle and give way enough. Um, but it's not going to, the copper jacket's going to be a bit harder and you'll get some copper fouling in your barrel, but it's still able to compress and it's not going to have a huge issue. When you start making a slug out of solid copper, you're going to run into issues. That material is much harder. So, if it's going to compress, it needs somewhere to go. So, a lot of these copper bullets that are coming out actually have grooves cut in them, not to interface with the rifling, but perpendicular to that. So, going around almost like a belt around the bullet. They have little grooves cut into there. So, when the bullet engages with the rifling, there's some place for this material to kind of have some give and for it to flow. And this is, these relief cuts are needed so that the bullet can be compacted and shaped as it goes through the rifling, and so you're not cutting through a solid shape the entire way. It's a little bit easier to cut in this kind of ribbed, oscillating design. And so with that, it kind of messes up the shape of your bullet. If you were going for a low drag, aerodynamically efficient, smooth bullet, and now you have to have all these ridges cut the wrong way, it's going to do some weird things to the flight of the bullet. Uh, it's going to interface with your rifling differently than a regular lead bullet would. I, I think it can be done well, but it's there's so few manufacturers doing it that it's still a bit untested in my book. And I've noticed that some manufacturers do this and some don't. And then, of course, with shooting some of these other materials other than lead, materials that are generally harder than lead, I think bismuth may be an exception to this, but copper, steel shot for sure, all these materials that are harder than lead, it's going to really wear out your barrel life. I mean, if you just think on, about steel on lead versus steel on steel, which one do you think is going to wear more? So that means your your shotgun barrel is not going to last as long. Um, your rifling is going to wear out earlier. And this is why a lot of AK-47s made on the other side of the world, or AKMs, anything in that family, a lot of them have chrome-lined bores because chrome is incredibly hard. And so a lot of these countries that are just shooting cheap, cheaply made AKs and you know pretty horrible ammunition that's just meant to be reliable and work not necessarily to be high quality or accurate but it's steel jacketed ammo and they can get away with that because the bores of these guns are chrome lined and now i've seen that it's a definitely a trend right now on a lot of duck guns and waterfowl guns that have chrome lined bores to make them just heavier duty so that you can actually run steel shot without just pitting and carving up the bore of your your shotgun barrel but your rifling, your shotgun bore, it's all going to wear faster when you're shooting a harder shot compared to lead. I also fear the regulatory struggles, whether that's federal, or whether it's state by state. If it's decided that, yes, there should be no lead ammo, that it should be banned, it's a really interesting swing at gun control, basically. It, or, or restricting hunting rights. It's a way to price people out of the market, to take you know people who have guns and ammo and lock them out of places because they can't use their guns and ammo. Uh, I, I don't have any crazy theories on exactly how this is going to be done, but I can almost guarantee that if there's this trend of banning lead ammunition for hunting, that, that anti-hunting groups are going to use this in some way that banning lead ammunition for target shooting anti-gun groups in general are going to use this in some way it's going to be an increasing attack and it's going to be even if it's for environmental reasons and it's all good other groups who are not environmentally minded are going to pick it up and use it as ammo pun intended for their own purposes so i went through some of the disadvantages to some of these new materials but there are some advantages, too. Uh, a lot of them are very situational, but there definitely can be advantages. I mean, one of the best rounds I've used for hog hunting here in Texas is the Barnes, uh, I think it's called the TAC-TX. There's a TAC-TX and a vor, like Vortex, Vort-TX. I don't remember which one it is. I think it's the TAC-TX. It is a copper solid with a polymer tip and so the way the bullet expands it doesn't blow up or break apart it mushrooms or banana peels out and it flies very accurately and it expands very consistently and it holds together in one piece it doesn't break up and it's an incredibly good hunting round at least i I use it in 300 blackout i'm sure they make it in a lot of other things and it's probably equally good but it's a great round but There are many copper rounds that aren't great rounds, but that's one that it it stands out, and I think from great design, but it's also crazy expensive because I think it's a machined bullet or it may be a forged bullet. It's it's not just a a a poured-in-a-mold sort of bullet. It definitely has a more technical manufacturing process, and it's all copper, so it's a lot more expensive. But when you avoid lead and you go with other metals for your projectiles— Some of the other advantages you can get are increased velocity. Now, sometimes you want mass, you don't want velocity. And so if you don't change your powder charge and you're flinging something that's lighter weight with the same amount of force behind it, you're going to get a faster velocity. So in shotgun sports, this can be advantageous because it means less lead. I think I most frequently screw up shots on ducks or doves because I don't give them enough lead. I'm more likely to do that than to give them too much. So if you can have a faster projectile that doesn't require as much lead, that's an advantage. Now, if it doesn't pattern well, you can kind of throw that advantage out the window. But you definitely get faster velocity. If I look at just 12-gauge Uh, Steel shot versus lead shot the average velocity of the steel shot is almost always going to be higher And that's just basic physics, right? Steel is harder than lead, but it's also a lot less dense So one pellet is of steel is lighter than one pellet of lead so put the same power behind it and it can move faster and like I was mentioning earlier with the the TSS turkey loads sometimes by getting away from lead you can actually get higher densities And so we're seeing that for Upland game. Um, I think it's the, is it the Prairie Storm? Maybe not. Maybe I'm thinking of the the wrong sub brand of ammo, but I'm definitely seeing some of that TSS working its way, not just in Turkey, but into other types of ammo as well. Because of that improved density, it's just so expensive. And with some of these other non-toxic metals, because they're harder or because they have a higher melting temperature, it requires them to be made in a different way, which sounds like a disadvantage at first. I guess from a pricing and general productivity standpoint, it's a disadvantage. But in terms of what you can do with the design, it gets really interesting. And the first the first thing that I think of is the, I think it's Underwood Ammo and Lehigh Defense. They have a line of machined I, I don't remember if it's brass or copper, but it's machined bullets that are in crazy shapes. One of them almost looks like a Phillips head screwdriver. Another one's like a scallop cut. And so based on being able to create these crazy cuts and shapes, they can really affect the terminal performance of a bullet and do some just wild expansion or just re- or even without expanding, just have a massive effect on target And one that I think of is there was a company called Polycase and the name kind of says what they originally did. They were trying to make polymer cases, um, basically injection molded cases instead of brass cases. That didn't go over too well. And then they started making polymer bullets. And obviously a plastic bullet is just going to be way too light. It's like blasting a a Lego. (laughs) I actually saw a video recently. Somebody figured out that the head of a Lego guy was exactly 40 caliber so they loaded it into some 40 smith and wesson <laughs> and it and it worked but the projectile was so light that it did not hit accurately it was tumbling all over the place but it was a funny experiment but all that to say this company started molding polymer bullets but that alone was too light so they basically used copper dust mixed in with the polymer so it was still non toxic It was stronger than polymer alone, almost like a glass-filled nylon that we see in so many products. But it was a copper-filled, I assume it was nylon. It might have been some other thermoplastic. But they could actually mold the shape of the bullets just via injection molding. But then the velocity was so much faster that even a nine millimeter was not traveling 1100 feet per second. It was traveling like 15 or 16. It was much faster. Now it's lighter weight. It was a 90 grain bullet, not a 124 grain, but it was, it was booking it. And so one of the things that they discovered was with this increased speed, they can achieve the, the principle of hydrostatic shock. And this is one that a lot of people will debate. Some people think it's not even real. Some people think will swear by it and say, you have to have it. I, I believe it's real. I think it's a little bit overrated in some instances, but this concept is achieving a projectile that hits the speed of sound in a fluid, not just the speed of sound in the air. So as we all, well, probably most of us know, the speed of sound at sea level is roughly 1,100 feet per second. But the speed of sound in a fluid not air, but in, in water or any other water-similar substance like blood and flesh, is much higher. And so through the air, yes, you get this sonic boom, this shockwave effect, this cone, this low-pressure cone behind a bullet that then collapses on itself. And hydrostatic shock is the idea of causing that same pressure cone, creating a low-pressure cavity that then collapses on itself and does further damage, you can achieve that by just pumping up the velocity. And so Polycase and some other companies have run these high velocity bullets that hit where a pistol round behaves more like a rifle round. And then they do some weird things with the shape like these, I think they call it a cavitator tip that that really exaggerate that effect. So you can do some fascinating things from a design direction but it's tedious, it's expensive, it requires a lot of research, a lot of machining, it's not easy to do. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking, Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that, it's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But it is fascinating. So there are definitely pros and cons to non-toxic ammo or non-lead ammo. Uh, one thing that I think is interesting that a lot of people don't realize is a lot of people who work in gun ranges. If you spend a whole lot of time in a gun range the most dangerous lead is in the air. It's not the bullets in the walls or in the floor. It's actually the lead dust. The projectile hits the backstop, blows up, and now you have little fragments of lead dust. And so most ranges, any range that's remotely responsible, has a very high quality air handling system to filter out that lead dust from the air. And so for the person who goes in there and shoots for 30 minutes or an hour or two hours, that filtration is going to be just fine. But for somebody who works in the range and maybe a range safety officer who's standing in there day in and day out, that lead's going to build up in his or her system. And a lot of these people who work in gun ranges, especially indoor gun ranges, regularly get their blood tested for lead levels. And if they have high lead levels, then they're given, I believe it's called chelation therapy, which helps remove some of the lead from your blood to help reduce and bring down those lead levels. And a lot of times they'll they'll go through chelation therapy and they'll say, hey, don't go to the range while you're doing this. We're trying to reduce the amount of lead. Don't do anything that could possibly bring it back up. So that goes back to kind of the initial point of, yeah, lead's dangerous and poisonous and it can build up in your system. And from everything I've been talking about previously, it seems like hunting and almost the the care of raptors and other birds, raptors and waterfowl, tends to be the number one reason to do this. And so it seems like whatever change is going to happen is going to go after hunters first. I think There's a lot of target shooting that's not going to be affected by this immediately, but once it starts to become common in hunting ammo, I feel like it's just a matter of time. And even with that, this isn't just restricted to hunting and shooting either. There have definitely been places that have banned lead sinkers for fishing. And so you have to use tungsten weights because they're not toxic. And I think that's, interesting as well. And I I see a lot of people who could be opposed to this because yeah, it's going to make the cost of everything triple or quadruple. It's going to be way more expensive. And so it's interesting to think about this, like as it's restricted, yes, how it affects wildlife and how it affects people, but it's also interesting to think about it by volume. If I was trying to be as objective as possible and basically said of all these sportsmen who is putting the most lead out in the environment, I think I would probably say, yeah, bird hunters are probably probably contributing the most you know, projectiles by mass to the environment. If you think about every shot of 12 gauge is roughly an ounce of whatever that is, steel or lead or whatever, one ounce per shot, they're putting a lot of that out there. Then probably fishermen are probably putting the next highest amount out there. You know, when you're using a split shot weight, you're never using a massive amount of weight, but you think about that split shot or that jig head, it adds up, but you also think about where does it end up? Well, every fishing bait that's ever been sold is either sitting in somebody's tackle box, somebody's garage, rigged up on a line, or it's lost and it's the bottom of the lake somewhere where it's not ever going to be recovered or reclaimed. And I think on the opposite end of this is rifle hunters. Yes, they are using lead shot. They are probably most primarily using lead shot. But if you think about it, using a 100 grain or you know 200 grain if you're shooting a 300 Win Mag, something big per shot, and then you're probably shooting once or twice, that one shot is far, far less than one shot from a shotgun and you're probably shooting much less volume. So if you're just looking at statistically who's putting the most lead in the environment, rifle shooters are probably the ones that you have to worry about the least. But I know a lot of these, like especially in Texas, a lot of these WMAs, you can't hunt with a rifle there even if you wanted to. It's shotgun only, and so they kind of constrain you. So you have to use a shotgun, and now you're throwing what would be normally a lot of toxic shot out there, so now you have to use non-toxic shot. And all these restrictions just start dogpiling on each other in a really difficult way. Now, we compare all of that shot. You look at somebody could go a whole season, a whole whole hunting party could go a whole season out there shooting shotguns all the time. And it's probably still going to be less lead than if one person dumps a car battery or boat battery out in the woods just by mass. Think about how much a car battery or boat battery weighs. That's mostly lead unless you're using some of these newer like lithium or polymer batteries that probably have environmental effects as well. But I don't I don't know too much about those. So, yeah, there's a lot of pollution areas outside of just hunting and fishing and sportsmen that could easily overweigh and counteract all the good things that we're trying to do here by reducing lead just by one person abandoning an old truck somewhere. And yeah, I know that's not a totally fair comparison because we do have to think about kind of how it's contained and how it's distributed. If you're shooting shotgun pellets, yeah, you're blasting out little pellets all over a marsh or a grassland versus a battery that's just kind of one contained block that's going to be harder for wildlife to find and get into and get a hold of. So no, it's not a fair comparison, but by just pure volume and mass, it is interesting to think about at least. So I'm starting to see hunting organizations kind of line up and take sides on this issue. I see some organizations and some ammo manufacturers for sure basically say lead bans are inevitable. So we need to be on the side of progress. We need to proactively police ourselves and, and start shifting away from lead and all these toxic chemicals and I I kind of get that, but it also it's almost as if they're inviting the harm and inviting the attack. Whereas I see other groups who are basically saying, "Hey, let's look at what's traditional, what people are using. We're not causing a problem. Don't change things. We don't need more government regulation. We don't need more involvement." Um you're you're basically hampering people's ability to hunt and fish and it's an attack on our our right to hunt and our second amendment rights for sure. And so I see companies lining up very heavily against any bans on lead ammunition, but I'm a bit torn because I I don't see the restrictions as a good thing. I don't want more government restriction (laughs) generally at all. That's just where I stand in in life for the most part. Um, With some environmental stuff aside, I would say that's my biggest area of exception to that. And I think there's some areas where lead ammunition, yeah, it's a problem that, you know, should be solved. And some areas where it's really doing no harm. You look at in an outdoor shooting range, people are all shooting into the berm. You're not going to be growing anything on that berm. You're not going to be that backstop. You're not going to be, you know, harvesting any game or food off of there. I think it's okay for that lead to end up all there and you're not contributing to anything that's a problem. Versus places where, yeah, you're putting it in the water supply, you're putting it directly into birds. I could see that issue. And so with that, I also have at least the same amount of challenge of being on the side of pro lead of saying we must use lead. Don't don't ban it. We have to keep using lead. I think that's a hard and nasty argument to make. So I'm a bit torn on this issue. I want to continue exploring it, thinking about it. Um, I definitely, because I duck hunt and because I've messed around with some of these copper solids, I definitely have some non-lead ammo. I've used it. Some of it I enjoy. Some of it I feel forced to use and don't enjoy. Some of it seems ridiculous, like when I was saying I'll I'll shoot at a dove, then I got to change ammo to shoot at a duck over the exact same pond on the exact same day. Some of it feels a bit silly. But if it also helps wildlife, helps people hunt without getting diseases um, like cancer or Parkinson's or other things from heavy metal buildup, then that's a really good thing. But I don't really know where I stand. So I'm a bit torn. I want to hear from you guys. So send me a DM on Instagram. My Instagram is the.adventure.one. So just the adventure one with periods between the words. Or shoot me an email, uh, Adventure One Channel, all combined into one word, Adventure one Channel at gmail.com. I want to get some feedback. I want to know what you guys think. As sportsmen, do you think bans on lead ammunition are an attack on our ability to hunt, an attack on our gun rights? Or do you think it's progress that we're getting away from some of these nasty, toxic chemicals? Or do you think we can achieve a balance somewhere in between? And if so, how? So I want to know what you guys think because this is an issue now and I think throughout the rest of my life it's just going to be a bigger and bigger issue to the point where I don't think it's unrealistic that we could see a a federal ban on lead hunting ammo. I think that could very easily be proposed within the next decade. I'm not advocating for that. I just think this is a conversation that's going to get a lot bigger. So as sportsmen, we should be proactively thinking about it, and not just be reflexive. We should think about where we stand and, and what we hope to achieve by that stance. So I want to hear from you guys, but at least be thinking about it. I hope you enjoyed this. Obviously, this is a little different than when I'm talking about a specific skill set or some equipment or even all my stories of a recent hunting or fishing or hiking or camping trip. This is very different from those sort of episodes, but As sportsmen, as adventurers, as shooters, it's something for us to consider and something for us to think about, definitely. So hope you enjoyed this. Hope it got you thinking. Until next time, stay safe, be free, and never stop seeking adventure.